I want you to do me a favor. I want you to use your imagination and cast your mind back to a moment in your life or perhaps a series of moments. And if this has never happened to you, just go wild. Imagine. Um, When you have used this phrase, wow, they were born to do that. You know that phrase? You know people use that phrase? Um, I want you to think of what has made you say that. What have you seen? And I'm going to, I wasn't going to do this, but, you know, let's go for it. I want you to shout some out. So I'm putting the emphasis on you now. Um, What has made you say, wow, they were born to do that? What have you seen or witnessed where you've said that phrase? Brave people. Say again. David Attenborough, okay, yes, he's born to do that with his lovely voice, and uh, go out there and do his thing. That seems to be something that he particularly was made to do, right? Other things? Usain Bolt, athlete, people of immense athletic prowess, um, as me and Usain are. Um, When you see him do his thing, you think, wow, not a lot of people could do that. He was born to do that, absolutely. Maybe one more. Dancers on Strictly, some of them, some of them, some of them you think, some of you think they were born to anything else except this. Um, not that I watch it, of course, nearly got me. Um, yes, indeed, when we see someone doing something that they do exceptionally well, uh, and maybe not just that, lots of people do things well, but there's something sparks in them when their purpose, what they were made to do, lines up with what they're doing, and that's a beautiful thing to behold. When uh, you see Ruben Neves, the Wolf central midfielder, doing what he was born to do, it's a thing of beauty. It's stunning and it's wonderful. That was a football thing, if you missed it. What I want to ask this morning is, uh, what was humanity born to do? Okay. What is humanity here for? What is our function, our task, our role? Okay, And if that's a bit too big for you on a Sunday morning, then hone it in. What are you born to do? What are you born for? And I don't mean what hobby suits you best, but that's important, strictly. Um, What I mean is bigger than that, what are you made for? Why are you here How can you line up your activity in life to be in line with the the, the reason, the function that you are intended to have as a person? What are you born for? That's what we're going to look at. And this really matters because if you think hypothetically that life is about X, Y, Z, okay, X, Y, Z, that's what life's about, and you get really good at X, Y, Z, and you spend all your money on X, Y, Z, and you throw yourself really hard at X, Y, Z, but life is actually about A, B, C, (laughs) then what you can be if you absolutely fly is really good at the wrong thing, and that would be tragic. But if you can know what you're here for, then you can go along many steps of the way towards actually functioning in what you were always born to be and do. And that would be worthwhile. So it matters that we know what we're here for. And uh, we're going to basically look at, if you can cope with this, two verses. One verse in Genesis 1, one verse in Genesis 2 to see. And the structure of this, if you like to know in advance, is going to be as follows. There's going to be one massive idea, okay, that's going to take us 30 seconds, it's that big, 
Um, one massive idea, and then there's going to be three ways that we live out that big idea, okay? So one big thing, three things that come as a result of that, okay? Now, here's the big idea. You actually had it last week, so get thinking or look at the screen. Uh, <laughs> last week, you heard from Jonathan that a human being is made in the image of God, made in the image of God. And there was this idea of reflection. Is that right? People who were here, that was mentioned. That actually, when we are functioning rightly, we're looking to God and then reflecting him to the world. That the image of God is not just something about our being or our essence. We are in the image of God. It's something about our function. We're to image God as people. That's why you're alive, to show God to the world, to show what he's like. There should be seven billion little mirrors of God reflecting his nature to everyone and everywhere around them in the world. But as we know, that's kind of gone wrong in all of us. We all have that twisted and marred in different ways. But that's our big function, to image God, to do the sort of things God does in the world, to be the sort of people God is in the world. Big idea, 30 seconds. Done. If you nod off now, I won't touch at you. You've had the big idea. Image God. But here's the thing. Um, there are some things that God does that it would be slightly strange if we did, right? I want you to get your mind thinking. Uh, there are some things that if I said, well, God does this, so I should do it, it would be strange. If, for example, uh, God is the judge of the living and the dead. Um, and if I was to assume for myself on my street, for example, the role of judge of the living and the dead, and was to walk around doing that, it might not go very well, okay? Um, God, I'm meant to do things God does. God sent his son to be a sacrifice on a cross 2,000 years ago. I have no son and no time machine. I can't send my son to be a sacrifice on a cross 2,000 years ago. You see, there are some things that God does that it's very important we don't do. And part of the human problem, in a sense, is trying to be like God, right? So what does it really mean to image God correctly as people? What does it look like to do the sort of things God does in the world? Three things. That's what we're going to look at uh, from these two verses. Let me read out the verses. It's Genesis 1, 28 and Genesis 2, verse 15, and let's see what they say. Genesis 1, 28, the first commands to humanity. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then over the page into chapter 2, or swipe across to chapter 2, and then verse 15, there's a slightly different angle on it. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden, why? To tend and watch over it. Three things that humanity is here to do in the world. Firstly, spread blessing. Spread blessing. Um, I have a prop, and I've forgotten it, but it's worthwhile. Guys, I would like a drum roll. Thank you. Check these out. It is really amazing. Whoa! Come on, arrows. Okay. Um, thank you. It's great to have an FP intern. Where is she? She was here a moment ago. Katie Dunn. Coming at you. 
for sale for $9.99 afterwards, these. I'll sign them if you want. Um, okay, uh, I don't know if you have come across on social media the hashtag life goals. People come across that? Uh, yes, people love it or hate it. Hashtag life goals. And it's now become part of vocabulary where you just see something that you would like in your life and you go, oh, life goals. Or um, so there's pictures of like a new sofa at Dunelm and you go, life goals. Or uh, you, you go on holiday to a place that's slightly nicer than your house and you go, life goals. I would love my life to have this in it or whatever. The best one I saw was a man sitting on a bus and in one hand, he had Harry Potter, uh, and in the, uh, the book, not the wizard. Um, and, and in the other hand, he had a box of 20 chicken nuggets. And someone had captured it and just put, life goals. And I was like, yes, that is my man. Good. Okay. Now, there's nothing wrong with life goals, okay, and, seeing, and having a vision for your life and things you'd love to be in place in your life. There's nothing wrong with that. But, enter arrows, on Instagram, an awful lot of the life goals are focused on self, okay? They are focused on self, not on me, not on Rich. Nobody's life goal is that. Um, ask Ruth. Um, but but uh, on self, on oneself, they are, their direction is inward, okay? So it'll be, I want that new sofa from Dunelm from my house because I want my house to look prettier. And that's not wrong. I got sofas, praise the Lord. But to, to be all about that, and I want this, I want money, I want the new car, I want the new body, I want uh, that woman, I want uh, whatever it is. I want this for my life because I want, because it's about me and that's my life and my goals. And is that the way that God wants us to live in the world? Look what God's life goal for Adam and Eve is. Verse 28, God blessed them. So he pours out blessing. Nothing wrong with being blessed. Nothing wrong with having a sofa. He pours out blessing. He pours out blessing where he wants to. He gives gifts. He gives Adam and Eve himself, the garden, each other, his presence, all the trees, all the fruit, except one. Don't let anyone tell you he's stingy for having that rule. He gives them everything they could ever want, all for free, straight away, living the dream. He blesses them. Why does he bless them? So that they might, now watch the arrows turn, be fruitful Increase in number. Thank you. <laughs> Woo! Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, move on. Phoebe, fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. And they are all outward words. He blesses them. It's not wrong to receive things. It's not wrong to have goals for your life. It's not wrong to have stuff. Or, or, or experiences, but why does he bless them? That they might be outward and be fruitful, and you don't see trees, don't correct me if anyone knows about this, but you don't see trees bearing fruit inside the trunk. Fruitfulness is an outward thing, right? And increase in number, that means multiply. Why is he blessing these two? What's so special about them? That they might increase in number, and that they might fill the earth. He's literally saying, go, go. Get on out there. Go outward. He blesses them to make them a blessing so that he might fill the whole earth with blessing. That's what he's doing. Now, that shouldn't surprise us if we have been around Christianity for a little while. Because some people have this idea of God being all about himself. You know, God, big tyrant, God, 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 worship me, God. And that is not the Christian God. 
Our God, as we've heard in this series already, is a father who's always been about his son. He says, I love you, my son. I've always loved you. You're my beloved son. The father is outward. He's not insular. He's outward. He cares. He's moved outwards towards his son in love, always. And the son is there going, not, yeah, bring it on, father. He's going, no, 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 your will be done. You, I love you. And the spirit is kind of bouncing between them, taking the love of God to the son. And then they spill out and create the world, don't they? They don't hog it. They spill out. They share the blessing. They spread blessing. They make a universe. And they fill it with little people. And what do they say to those people? They say, spread the blessing. And uh, you think of Adam and Eve. What do they do? They get it wrong. And they turn in on themselves. They do their own thing. We'll get to that in a few weeks. They turn in on themselves. And they, they run away from God. They're scared of God. They're ashamed. And what does God do? He doesn't flick them away. He doesn't even beckon them. He moves towards them. And he says, where are you? He moves close to them. And he's moving close to you and us. And then you think of Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And Abraham's like, yes, blessing. Why are you blessed? That you might bless every nation. Why is Israel blessed? People say, oh, the Bible seems to bang on about Israel a lot. What about all the other countries? Anytime Israel is blessed, and God loves Israel, but God blesses Israel to bless the whole world. It's too small a thing, he says, that I'll make you a light just for Israel. I'm going to make you a light to the Gentiles, outward. And then Jesus comes into the world, and he moves towards people, and he ends up on a cross, and he prays, forgive them with his heart outstretched towards people. And then the Spirit comes on the church, and he says, now therefore go out, outward, take my blessing, and spread it out, fill the earth. Spread blessing. And you know in Acts, it starts with them all huddled, scared. And it says, then they went to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And the church, you, me. We pick up the mantle from Adam and Eve. He blessed them and he said, now be fruitful, multiply the blessing of God and fill this globe with the blessing of God. There's a life goal. Give your life to that. Give your all to that. You're a student. What's life going to look like? Give your all to that. A cosmic sized, God shaped, God sized life goal for you to throw yourself into. Now, can you see that that's slightly broader than what we often think this verse entirely means, which is, what do we think this verse normally means? Be fruitful and multiply means have loads of kids, right? Okay. Now, in another talk and another chapter and another time, we would use that verse to teach into that subject, and that is, for Adam and Eve, definitely a part of what that means. It's, it's, It's a massive part of what it means for Adam and Eve. He's saying, I don't want it to just be the two of you, I want you to spread the blessing. So, you know, have date night and chat and, you know, see where it goes, right? So it is about that for them. It is. But is that all that verse means? And I've heard it taught that that's what that verse means. And if that's what that verse means, then what are you born to do? What's the human flourishing life? Having kids. Now, do we think that? Do we think that? It's important that we know that that is not the Bible's vision of a flourishing life. Because if that's the Bible's vision of a flourishing life, we're saying that anyone here, and that's not your situation, for whatever reason, 
that you're not just got questions about that for your life, which are right to have and might be painful for you, but you're, you're having to call into question whether you're disobeying the first command of Scripture and whether you're missing out on the good life entirely. If we say that this is what this verse means, we're saying Jesus of Nazareth disobeyed the first command of the Bible, which we don't believe that he did. He obeyed every command of Scripture. He fulfilled it. Did Jesus multiply and was he fruitful and did he fill the earth? Nod at me. Yes. Yes, he did. He did it the best. He did it a million times more than anyone else will with his life and his commitment to God. The vision for a flourishing humanity is not 2.4 kids. And that doesn't remove questions that we might have or longings that are right to have if you have them. And I'm blundering in here, flying in with my yelling, to a subject that is so sensitive. And I might be getting it wrong. And I want to say I'm sorry if I'm getting it wrong. But you need to know, in all your questions that you might have, that what's not at stake in whether you have children or not is whether you're obeying the first command of the Bible, whether God's, God's purpose for your life, have you lost it, have you missed it? Are you discounted from the good life that God has for his people? No. No. That's important to believe. We've got to have this the right way around. And this is for you if, if, if you don't have kids. This is for you if you have kids. This is for you if you have a kid. You've got to get this the right way around. The vision that God has for our lives is this. That me and my household would serve the Lord. Not that the Lord would serve me and my household. That the dream of life is that me and my household would serve the Lord. However many there are in it. Whatever questions we have. That we're just resolving that me and my house are going to serve the Lord. That's the big idea. Not that the Lord is going to serve the dream of me and my house. I've got to know that. We've all got to know that. You're not missing out on God's flourishing command to fill the earth with blessing if right now you don't have children. And I'm not saying there aren't questions, and I'm not saying there's not hurt. But I want, this is not a rebuke to you. It's a rebuke to people like me. What I want to come to you with, if that's your situation, is comfort and vision and encouragement that that is one thing that's not up for grabs. You can have that. You can be in the purposes of God for this world. And sometimes we uh, honor lots of different groups of people. I want to just publicly say this. I honor you if you are here and you don't have children and you want children. I honor you. This church honors you. And we might not say it from the front all the time because you get it wrong like this guy's doing right now. But we honor you. We honor you. Now, I just want to, um, on the subject of honor, honor one particular group of people and one specific member of that group. The, the group of people I want to honor is my Emerge team. Um, that's the youth work in our church. And at the moment, as it stands, I'm the only member of our youth team that has a physical child at this point who is mine by biology. You understand what I mean? I'm trying to caveat it by a hundred times. You understand what I'm saying? That's just me at the moment. Um, but every Friday night, I get to watch this team move outwards with the blessing of God towards others and multiply the blessing of God and be bare fruit with our young people. And I'm not at all, please check this, I'm not at all saying that that's, oh, there you go, like for like, no worries. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying they've committed to multiplying the blessing of God in their lives 
in whatever way they can, and I honor them for that. There's one particular chap who gives me a right old hard time when I'm preaching uh, called Andy. Um, and I've checked with Andy that I can say this, and we've talked about this. And uh, right now, Andy doesn't have physical children. And that's something I was instructed by him to say is not easily resolved and simple. However, Andy has resolved to live his life, and the guy's not perfect, like neither are you, um, and neither am I. Um, but the guy's resolved to say, I'm going to go with the blessing of God and do what I can. And do you know what? We go to New Day, and uh, uh, it's so fun because he turns up and all of our youth stand up and spontaneously start chanting, Andy, Andy, back, Andy, back, Andy, like this. Um, because he's blessed them in their life and he's poured into them. He's been a big brother. He's been a father. Every Friday night, he sits next to me in my car home as I drive him home from Emerge. And through the uh, niche uh, genre of encouragement of extremely firm critique a lot of the time, but, <laughs> but, but, but mostly through love, um, he pours into me and he multiplies the blessing of God in my life. And then I go to New Day, and there's some big shot church leader on the stage praying for 8,000 kids to plant churches. And, oh, that's a hero. And I just quietly smile because I know that he was a little kid in my mate Andy's church. And Andy poured into him, and he did his best with him, and, uh, and he was a big brother to him. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth with the blessing of God. That's the vision. And one way you can do that is to have some children and raise them in the ways of the Lord. Point two, point two, point two, point two. Um, there are other things that God says, and we'll do them quicker. Genesis 2.15 uh, says this, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it, and other translations say work it or cultivate it. Here's the second thing of three, uh, and we'll be done by Thursday. Um, number two, cultivate creation. Cultivate creation. Uh, now, a little moment for the beardy theological types in the room. Can I holler at me? No? Um, if you're into your books, you might have heard of this thing called the sacred-secular divide. Has anyone heard of that? If you've heard of that, Beardy theologian type. Well done. The sacred-secular divide is a way of viewing the world that I think is totally flawed. Um, let me tell you about it. There are two types of thing in the world. There's sacred things and there's secular things. Sacred things, nearer the top, are important things. God things, praying, Bible, working for the church, preaching, listening to preaching, coming to church, Watching songs of praise later. <laughs> Sacred activities that the Lord your God is smiling at you when you do those. Then there's secular stuff down the bottom. And the secular stuff is everything else you do. So uh, going to work, going to uni, studying, unless you're studying theology. And, uh, and watching telly, unless you're watching songs of praise. And, 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 and music, and film, and your job, and all of that, all the stuff that you do isn't important because God doesn't care about it. Sacred? Secular. Nonsense. What a load of nonsense. That is not true. That is not true. If you nodded off when I was talking about it, wake up. It isn't true. That isn't true. Okay, we should have got a clue in Genesis 1 
when over the whole of the world, God shouts, and he made it, and it was, and it was, and it was, he does it loads, and it was, and it was, and it was, was. (laughs) not, it was bad, serve me instead. It was good, serve me in it, serve me in the world. He makes Adam and Eve, and he doesn't command them here to to soar above the world in their spiritual vibes, and he doesn't call them to to kind of seclude themselves away from the world, kind of to protect yourself from the dirty thing. He says, get stuck into the world as my people. I made it. I care about it. Now, if you're going to be like me, you get your holy hands dirty in making this thing work. Grow it, till it, dig it, get stuck in cultivate the earth. And if that's too earthly for you and you think, no, Rich, you've misread it. It's a prayer meeting. It's a prayer meeting in the Garden of Eden. That's primarily what it is. It's, they're, they're, they're just praying or, or reading scripture and, um, and all of that. And just so you know, I'm not knocking those things. They have an irreplaceable central part in life. But if that's all it is, and it's all about spiritual things, you're going to hate a guy who turns up in the New Testament. Little character, Jesus. Jesus turns up in the New Testament, and he is God in a body. He is God in a body that came into the world the same way you might have come into the world. And it doesn't particularly feel that spiritual, okay? He came into the world as a human being. He got his hands dirty. God got his hands dirty. And whatever it means to have clean hands and a pure heart, it doesn't mean to have clean hands. Because God got dirty hands in the person of Jesus, and he got splinters when he made his furniture for 15 years, when he was doing that. Do you remember that? He's growing up and he's making his furniture, and he went, ow. And then he stepped back like he did in Genesis 1, and of the thing he'd made, and he said, whoa, I like that. That is good. Good. He got stuck in. And if you don't like the idea that you kind of, we would do stuff with the garden and develop it, that's a bit scary, um, I want you to just check out the next slide, which talks about the future um, in the future vision that God has for this new this creation, it's not that we all get to go back to the garden. Phew, we'll be rid of like cities and Birmingham and we'll be back to Hawaii. You know, it's not that. The vision that God has for the garden was always that it would become a city, a garden city, that people would get stuck into this world and make the city that is to come, the great street of the city, it says. And in Revelation, In my Bible, it actually says, the return to Eden. And then the next verse under, the return to Eden, it says, then the river of life flows down the street in the city. And I'm like, that's not a return to Eden. It's Eden and some. It's Eden developed. It's Eden, all that it was meant to always be. It's a city that we're heading to. With praise and worship music, yes. Get in. But also streets, buildings, food, culture. Music, not just Matt Redman and Bethel, other stuff too. <laughs> and Julian Hardiman puts it like this, uh, author of a book on Genesis called Maximum Life. He says, God didn't just want everything to stay the same. He wanted humanity to apply itself to a massive development project. God gave us the responsibility to come to church. Do you see that? doesn't say that. That's a central part of life but the responsibility to develop the rich potential that was there in the world he made. Humanity was to take charge for God and make the most of all he'd put in the earth. 
And this is why these verses have been called the cultural mandate, the, the, the instruction to make culture, create culture. And this is why we love Sputnik, if you've come across this, our arts thing. So it's like a collection of artists that we're throwing weight behind and encouragement behind to say, we don't think that's small and niche. We think that all of life is an environment with which you can serve God. But the problem for me, because I'm not arty, is I go, I don't understand you, Johnny. I don't understand you when you talk about it. Because it's not me, but I'm very glad that we're in a church that believes that. But here's a line that encourages me. Julian Hardiman says, cultural doesn't just mean arty stuff, but anything we do that grows and develops all the potential God has given us in ourselves as made in his image and in the earth he's put us in. So it includes, what are you here for? What, what, what are you alive for? So it includes agriculture, poetry, science, cities, technology, and, can I get an amen, sport. Take that. That's why I go to the footy. Now, you see what all of this is saying. These are kind of big ideas. But all of this is saying real implications for your life. Okay? It's saying that you don't have to be this guy to be blessed by God in your work. You do, the goal is not to work for a church or a Christian charity, though those are valid things, and I've done both. But that's not the goal of life. That's not a narrow thing that you're meant to achieve to be a good Christian. You know, because if that was true, then, then you'd have to buckle in and wait till next Sunday to worship God. And you'd have to uh, hope that you could sneak Jesus into your essay, even though your essay is about like nuclear physics, and you've gone, well, but the physics is kind of about the cross. But no, you don't have to crowbar him in in every moment to be doing something that he notices and that is valuable to him. It's his world. And you don't have to be doing a frontline caring profession like medicine, though God loves you if you're doing that, to be serving God in the world. It's not just frontline caring things. People say this to me and Ruth all the time. They go, because um, Ruth's a doctor, and they say, wow, Ruth, Ruth, you're a doctor, and Rich, you work for the church. Wow. Oh, as if, A, you couldn't have wretched motivations to do those two things, and as if there's a narrow thing that God's Lord of, and all the rest of the planet, he's like, oh, if only they were youth workers. Nonsense. You can serve God, whatever your sector, whether you're at home with your kids, or volunteering, or studying, or you're a factory worker, or you're a builder, sweating and grafting, and looking back and saying, it was good. Or whether you're nurturing minds in a classroom, or cleaning the streets of our city. Do you notice that, that people look down on people who clean the streets of the city, until there's a bin strike, and then you realize, flipping heck, I'm glad those guys are around, right? Working for the good of the city is not just cap and a Hope English Club, and uh, Time for Tea, these are all ministries that we do in the church. They're important. They're for the good of the city. Also, you go into wherever you work or your environment and doing it for Jesus and not buying into worldly values, but saying, I'm going to plant a flag and do this degree, job, raise these kids. I'm going to look for work, if that's what you're doing right now. I'm going to do it for Jesus. That's for the good of this city. And if we all did that, now there, we're rolling now on being for the good of this city. Abraham Kuiper, Kuiper was a prime minister of the Netherlands. And he said this, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over 
all does not cry, mine. Your thing, it's his. Do it for him. And he sees it and he loves it. Point three quickly. The Lord God, it says in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend, that's what we've just seen, and watch over it. Uh, Take care of it or keep it. Some uh, translations say guard it. Why are you in the garden? Why has God put humanity here to, to care, point three, for creation? To care for creation. And uh, I'm going to give this four minutes, not because it's less important, but because I want everyone to be able to leave vaguely on time. And because I'm not the guy who's really wise on this, as anyone who knows my life will know, uh, I tend to glaze over at creation care bit of talks because that's for kind of people who are naturally into environmental stuff, right? It's for the kind of hippies and the Glastonbury goers. And uh, that's not me. And so I think, oh, I don't have to care about that. And I think there's more important stuff, isn't there? There's souls to win, which there are. And there's a God to worship. And I love God. I'm all about God. Just don't come to me with this kind of recycling stuff. That's like the level I'm at. That is an inappropriate attitude to the world that God has put us in. That is unacceptable and it's sinful, actually. Imagine that I'm babysitting. Uh, no, say, say, say someone, I'm babysitting someone else's kids, okay? And I go to their house and they go, the terrible news, they're not in bed yet. And you go, you're kidding, that's rude. Why did you why, put them in bed? Um, and then... And then, and then they go out to the cinema, and I'm in the house with the, with the kids, and I'm going, right, okay. Now, fast forward three hours, okay. Parents come back, and they find me in the garden sipping a pina colada, and the kid is sitting at the bottom of the stairs with four tattoos, smoking with a fork in its head, and it's just, like, in a mess, okay. And they come to me, and they say... And I say, no, I'm all about you. I love you. But this precious creation that you've given me for a bit, I am, hmm, it's not me really. That is not going to be met well by the creator of the precious creation. And this world is very dear to your God. You know, it says in the Bible that he sustains it by his word. Tree bird, whale, person. He sustains it by his word. He he cares that much. And for me to go, I'm about God, is offensive to him if I don't care about his world. Uh, One article I read put it like this, Christians should care far more about the environment than any other people on the planet because God gave us this role and it is our moral responsibility to fulfill it. We have a binding moral obligation to manage our Father's world. Failure to care for God's world is sin and requires repentance. It's not a take it or leave it thing. Abusing the land is not merely foolish, it is evil. It disrespects God, it mocks and rejects his design. And with a biblical understanding of the nature of nature, we must lead the world in caring for it. This is a biblical, theological, and moral imperative, which means it's really important. 
Now, that makes you feel bad, doesn't it, as you go for coffee? Um, but guilt is the worst motivation in life because guilt will fizzle out and uh, won't get you doing anything. And it hasn't done for me because that's primarily how I've thought about it. Oh, I feel bad. And that doesn't move anyone to do stuff. What I want you to see as I finish is that this is the reason we do this is to go back to our big purpose. We image God. You know, you might say, but me recycling my cup or not using straws all the time or whatever practical things God's moving you to think about, I'm not giving you a commandment, your thing to work out with God. That if I do that, if the hundred biggest companies, and this is true, stop, like, if they don't do anything about it, it's not going to make a difference. And I think to that, God says, okay, well, if you feel moved to speak to those hundred companies about it, but I'm not talking about that now. I'm not talking about results. I'm talking about, will you image me to the world? And I care about my world, and you're meant to be like me. So therefore, even if your actions don't produce the grand results that are needed, it is valuable to God if you image him by caring about this world. And he sees that. And he longs for us to grow in that. Now, early days for me on this stuff. And that's why I've asked a few people in our church to give some helpful tips, not laws, not commands. Just helpful ideas if your conscience is touched by this today or over the last few years or whatever. There's going to be some stuff coming up on the blog uh, to just help guide you if you want to get into this. But I, I just want to finish with this. Imagine, clock has stopped, it's done. Imagine if Christians spread blessing, got stuck into this world and went for it wherever they were and cultivated it, and that they cared more than anyone for this creation. Imagine what people would think of Christians then. That would be all right, wouldn't it?